from meager beginnings as an adolescent ambulance washer in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, to a decade-long legacy of bringing you breaking news before it makes the news. Broadcasting live from the studios of Scared Monkeys Radio Network via C-Band Satellite W3-957, Access Communications Channel 7, and worldwide via digital streaming audio at scaredmonkeysradio.com, it's the Dana Pretzer Show. And now, your host, Dana Pretzer. Okay, boy, have we got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, you know Jossie Mansur as the... Um, Managing Editor of uh, Diario in Aruba. Jossie, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's been a while since you and I have chatted. Did uh, you think that we would be uh, talking about the subject like this? No, no, not in my wildest dreams, no. Well, I tell you, uh, Joran van der Sloot, for those of you that maybe have been uh, sleeping or under a rock for the last little while, have been uh, has been arrested uh, for an alleged murder in uh, Peru. Jossie, tell us what you know from your end. Well, the, the news that we got from Lima, Peru, is that he he has faint. He, he he was filmed. He's on video walking to a room with a girl that uh, later appeared murdered. She was very badly beaten with some kind of a racket or a baseball bat. We don't know for certain yet because they haven't pinpointed that to a degree that we can believe. Uh, some say a racket. Some say a baseball bat. But she was very badly beaten, her neck was broken, she was missing an eyeball, according to a statement by her brother. I mean, she was very, very brutally beaten to death. And the room in which she happened to have been beaten to death was taken in the name of Joran van der Sloot. And, and we all know Joran van der Sloot is the uh, suspect, or one of the suspects, in the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. It's five years ago, that's hard to believe, is it not, Jos- Jossie? It's hard to believe in a sense, but in another sense, no, because this is his modus operandi, no? He meets a girl in a casino, he takes her out for a few drinks, or he has the drinks right there in the casino, takes her to his room or somewhere else, and then suddenly... Either she disappears or she appears murdered in her room. Yeah, I, I, when I meant hard to believe, I meant it's hard to believe that it's been five years. As, uh, as far as the modus operandi, you're exactly right. Uh, five years ago, uh, a similar situation right down to the casino uh, happened in Aruba. Sadly, Natalie Holloway was not found. Uh, Joran van der Sloot has been arrested and, and uh, re-arrested uh, several times in Aruba. W- what's happening as far as the Aruban authorities go? Uh, I'm hearing now that uh, van der Sloot will be facing charges in the United States for extortion, uh, basically coming to the Holloway family saying, give me some money and I'll tell you what I did and where I put Natalie. Uh, in my opinion, he has confessed again. Uh, to killing Natalie Holloway, is there any reaction from the Aruban authorities, Jossie? Well, the reaction from the Aruban authorities is that they sent messages to Lima, Peru, that they're willing to cooperate in any sense whatsoever, cooperate fully with whatever knowledge they have of Yoren, character, description, etc. But I think that they, they missed the boat when uh, we we had this confession that he made on a videotape in, yeah. a, in a car. He didn't know they were taping him in which he admitted that he called a friend, I'll, I'll just get to that point, he called a friend to come and help him get rid of Natalie, uh, of uh, Holloway's body in the ocean. I mean, he admits it. I mean, that's incriminating evidence for everyone to see, and it's against the law. I mean, uh, he, he should at least 
have called the police and told them. This way he was destroying evidence. Yeah, exactly. If you're just tuning in, uh, Jossie Mansour is here. He's joining me from Aruba. He is uh, the editor of uh, the uh, Aruban newspaper, Diario. Uh, you know, we've talked about this story many, many times, Jossie, you and I, and I know you've done a lot of media about it. You've been very close to the story, close to the family. Uh, there have been searches for Natalie. There have been, you name it, it's been talked about. So many um, hopes have come to the family and have turned out to be uh, disasters. Uh, the Aruban government at the time, uh, you know, covered this up, in my opinion, uh, and and some will say because of their lack of prosecuting Joran van der Sloot, uh, maybe a big part of the reason why this young girl is dead in Peru today. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yes, I, I believe so, because they had they have the evidence in their hands on this videotape that the names did for the Vries. And uh, they should have pro- should have proceeded with that. They should have taken them to court. They, they would have gotten a conviction on that that part of the law. I mean, th- this man admitted on tape that M- Natalie Holloway died from some kind of a seizure in his arms, which was a lie. And then that he called some friends to come and help him get rid of the body and throw it in the ocean. I mean, this is an admission of guilt of violation of one of our laws, destroying evidence in a case that was under investigation, a criminal case. So uh, the Rubin authorities could have prosecuted him for any other crime that he has admitted to, and again, admitted many times. Uh, let's talk about the gambling uh, issue a little bit here. Uh, as we all know, Jossie, uh, you're in Vandersloot underage at the time, five years ago, in an Aruban casino. Uh, we've uh, talked about and saw pictures of the uh, uh, surveillance pictures of an individual that looked a lot like the late Paulus Vandersloot sitting with Natalie Holloway. Uh, what have you heard about uh, Yoran and his gambling? What was he doing in Peru? Well, he, he was in Aruba because uh, from Aruba he was uh, busy with his extortion deal against uh, the Holloway family. From here he flew to Colombia. From Colombia he flew to Lima, Peru, to participate in, in a poker tournament. He loves to play uh, uh, poker and he loves to participate in any kind of a tournament that he hears of. He did in Aruba. And now he went to Peru. Uh, lamentably, in Peru, this this whole affair happened, and he's the number one suspect. And I think that they have sufficient evidence to put him away for at least 25 years. Jossie Mansour is here. Uh, Anita Vandersloot, and uh, since the death of Paulus, have we heard much about her? No, she's been very quiet. Uh, we don't know uh, if, if she was in Aruba all the time. I know she is now. She's teaching at the International School of Aruba. She has a position there as an art teacher. The students like her very much. She seems to be a very nice lady in, in her profession. And uh, I, I really feel sorry for her. When you talk about the some of the um, those involved at the time of the Holloway investigation, uh, Dennis Jacobs and 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 others, uh, what are they doing today, Jossie? They they still belong to the police force here. They they handle some of them handle drug cases, some of them handle uh, criminal cases, uh, petty thieves, uh, things of that sort. I mean, they're still active as policemen. And uh, they do their investigations here and there. We hear very little from them, though. 
some have uh, used the label serial killer uh, when it comes to uh, Joran van der Sloot. I'm going to be talking to an FBI agent a little bit later on in the program who's an expert on serial killers to see if he fits that profile. H- has there been talk as far as Joran van der Sloot uh, being uh, a suspect in any other Aruban crime or any other crime that you know of? No, in Aruba, no, we know that when he was in Thailand, he was involved in, in recruiting girls for the porno industry in Europe. That we know. We don't know if if any girls disappeared in Thailand. It's far away from us. We have absolutely no context there to be aware of any other misdemeanor or crime that he may have committed there. We don't know. I'm I'm reading uh, news articles that Joran is uh, is, is uh, in tears uh, when he is um, uh, being interrogated by the authorities in Peru. Uh, he was an expert, in my opinion, Jossie uh, Joran van der Sloot, at manipulating the media. Uh, some American crime shows uh, bought and uh, reported his story many times, and yet he kept lying. Yet the my, again, in my opinion, the time where he actually told the truth, and we've discussed this, is the uh, article or the article, the uh, undercover footage with uh, Peter R. DeVries. Um, do the Peruvian authorities know about Van der Sloot and his uh, propensity to uh, constantly lie? Oh, yes. They've been very well informed by the prosecution of Aruba. That's when they offered to suministrate, to give any kind of information that they wanted and I'm sure they've been in contact with the authorities here and they are very well aware of uh, what this guy is and what he represents. He's he's a danger on, on the streets. They should put him away. That's right, and he should have been put away uh, the in Aruba a long time ago, and and possibly this may not have happened, but uh, we can't go back in time. That's for sure. Jossie Manser from Diario. Thank you, sir. Sure. Take care. All right. Bye bye. That's Jossie Manser from uh, Diario uh, with an update on Joran van der Sloot. My name is Dana Pretzer. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. Boy, we've got lots to talk about tonight. We're going to be talking about Drew Peterson, uh, more on uh, Joran van der Sloot, uh, John Mark Carr, you name it. Uh, it's a special edition of the Dana Pretzer Show here on Scared Monkeys Radio. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, you know Blink from Blink on Crime, our sister blog. Uh, she does a great job covering all the high-profile crime stories that are out there, and it's always a pleasure to have her on the program. Welcome, ma'am. Good evening, Dana. How are you? Oh, great. It's uh, been a pretty slow week, hasn't it? <laughs> God, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, let's. Uh, do, we're going to talk Vandersloot. We're going to talk uh, Peterson. I'm waiting to get old to Joel Brodsky, uh, Drew Peterson's attorney, who promised me that he would be on the show tonight. I've interviewed him many times. I don't think he's stiffened me. I think he's just mixed up with the time zones or something. But uh, we're going to start that with... Happens. Yeah, that happens. We're going to start with Blink from Blink on Crime, and let's talk uh, Let's talk Peterson, first of all. I've, you know, uh, I've taken a lot of flack over interviewing Drew Peterson. I can't remember if I had him on twice or three times. Anyway, but also probably two of the most highest listen to programs in my 13 years of doing this. Now, uh, I've been in the business long enough to know that when you have a high-profile person like Drew Peterson, he's not going to go into general population when he's in jail. Celebrity website TMZ, and I tried to get a hold of Harvey Levin, but you can't get a hold of Harvey on the weekends. uh, Oh, never. (laughs) You know, to find out what's going on, reported that uh, Peterson 
uh, was uh, basically yapping. And uh, and that's not like Drew Peterson, or not unlike Drew Peterson, to yap because he's got a big mouth. He'll be the first one to admit that, and so will his attorney. And that a jailhouse informant came forward with a credible tip, thus the search uh, for Stacy Peterson. Now, I want to make it very clear that I think uh, finding Stacy Peterson is, is so important. And Drew Peterson is responsible for her uh, her death, assuming that she is dead. Uh, then he should be prosecuted. But God darn it, I've got a problem with the story. Drew Peterson is in protective custody in jail. I know that for a fact. And if he's yapping, I don't know who he's yapping to. Am I totally out to lunch here? No, I think it's an excellent question, Dana. But what I think is, uh, well, he's not in what I would call protective custody. He is in isolation. He's isolated, Um, yeah. Right, there's a difference um, in that he is in uh, his cell approximately 23 hours a day. But let me share with you what my sources have told me, and this is unverified, um, so take it as you as you may, and this might be a question for Mr. Brodsky, but I know that that was his first reaction that uh, Mr. Peterson is in isolation, but even if you take the case of, say, Casey Anthony, who is also in isolation, yeah. yet has the capacity to speak to whether the written word and also vocally yep. several different uh, prisoners in that uh, that would be the person who has the book cart, that would be the person that delivers their lunch, that would be the person that um, is uh, got the trainee position, they've got some type of employment capacity, but they are also inmates. What I'm hearing is that this is somewhat of a coup, that the individual, uh, who I think I referred to him as a bunkmate or a celly, yep. that uh, was allegedly in contact with Drew Peterson was someone that Mr. Peterson would have known through some of the more nefarious associations that he has had (laughs) uh, when he was employed as a police officer in Bolingbroke. I buy that, yep. And the onus I'm hearing is that this individual approached Drew basically to say you have a couple, I think it's four weeks until this trial starts, and you have to tell us where you put her because we need to move her. You know, blank. The, pu- the push is on. You need to tell us where she is so we can take care of this for you. That is what I have heard, that uh, it was a sting. It was somebody that Drew would at least, uh, a decoy maybe, but it was there was some level of affiliation that Mr. Peterson would have been familiar with that he would have given information in terms of the accomplice, and then law enforcement took it from there. They are due back either tomorrow or in midweek. They did not feel that they had the uh, the right equipment there, and I'm hearing that they're yeah. looking for some sonar, ground-penetrating radar, and some other testing, yeah. which is a bit graphic to go into detail. But... Um, this is not a uh, you know a, a hit and run. This is something that they feel is a credible lead, and that they're going to be following up. Which I certainly hope for Stacy's family, and certainly the prosecution of Drew Peterson uh, is the case. I hope so too. And uh, if that is uh, accurate, what you're saying, and I have no reason to doubt it, then fantastic. But we know, though, Blink, that in the past there have been. Uh, false reports, uh, false searches, and, and and this goes on, and it will be interesting to hear what Mr. Uh, Brodsky has to say when it comes uh, to this. You know what? I'm going to uh, 
take a quick break. I'm going to put you on hold for a minute, and I'm going to see if I can get Joel Brodsky on the line, and I will conference you in, and um, I want you to monitor my interview with Joel Brodsky, and then we'll talk about it. Can you take just hold on a second, Blink? Absolutely. Love to. Okay. Hang on. Okay. I'm going to see if I can. I love the phone system. If this is Joel Brodsky, Joel, Dana Pretzer, and we are actually live on the air. Are you okay with that? Yes, that's fine, Dana. I'm sorry I was uh, missed your call a little bit earlier. No, 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 no that's okay. So I, I want to uh, just introduce to the audience Joel Brodsky. You know Joel Brodsky as uh, an attorney. Uh, he has been a guest in the past on this program. He is representing uh, uh, Drew Peterson. Um, and I, I, I wanted to talk to uh, Joel about the uh, recent uh, report that uh, came out strangely at TMZ.com, a celebrity uh, website. Usually you see a paparazzi video of George Clooney picking his nose on a street corner somewhere. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, and I've just said, uh, Joel, that... I think it is so important to find Stacy Peterson, uh, and I think you'll agree with that. Uh, but uh, I, I want to get your comments on uh, on this jailhouse informant uh, on on the search and get it from the perspective of uh, the Peterson team. Well, first of all, it was I, when I, I got my first call that I found out about this TMZ report. I got a four o'clock in the morning on uh, yesterday morning and. Uh, I, my first reaction was uh, is that it's absolutely impossible. Uh, Drew has been kept in isolation for the last year. Uh, he's in a, uh, in a held in a, in a cell where he has absolutely no contact with other prisoners. Okay. Um, he's uh, you know he's nobody. So it would have been absolutely impossible for him to have had a conversation with an inmate. Uh, to uh, to make any statement to. Now, I, I'm curious when you say isolation, uh, his meals are delivered to him. Is it like um, uh, I'll use the term solitary confinement, so to speak, or protective custody? Well, it, it's a it's a kind of a modified protective custody. He's kept because of his uh, status as both uh, kind of a semi celebrity, so to speak, and as a former police officer. More importantly, they keep him in the medical uh, ward of the uh, of the jail and. In that, when he's kept is, and basically it's, a, it's like a uh, hospital room, except obviously there's no medical equipment in there. Uh, you know, his own bed, his own shower, his own uh, toilet, his own like locker for his belongings. Right. And then connected to that is a day room, and that's uh, where he, uh, which is his own, it's a private day room where he has a telephone. And his only either in the cell or when he's not locked in the cell, he's able to go into his the day room, and and that's that's his existence. Have you uh, spoke? He has, he has contact with guards, obviously, uh, and people that deliver his meals to him. But other than that, he has no contact with anybody. Have you spoken to Drew since uh, this information has come out? Obviously, Drew must know about it. Oh yeah, I, I spoke to Drew. Uh, we had a, we we speak on the phone almost every day, and I spoke to Drew since this. Uh, uh, so you're calling uh, this information uh, not credible? Uh, absolutely, absolutely not credible. I mean, the first part that we know is incredible is that. You know, there, there could be a, an inmate snitch, so to speak. That's impossible. Uh, I think even the jail, uh, some reporters contacted the, the uh, warden, and even the warden said that that's impossible because of Drew's being kept in isolation. Uh, the rest of it is uh, about, you know, searching uh, out near Peoria, Illinois, for, uh, for evidence is also similarly impossible. Um, you know, th there has been, in this case, 
by um, a line of, uh, of leads, so to speak, or tips that go all the way back to November of 2007. And not one tip. I remember there was a truck driver that said that Drew approached him to move a, a package. There was uh, uh, a, a finding of a, of a body that washed, a skeleton that washed up on a, along a river. Uh, there have been numerous uh, leads or, you know, expectations in this case. And not one of them, not one of them has ever proved to have any factual basis at all in, in over almost three years now. And it's just incredible that, you know, we would have this continual lead, uh, tips and leads, and, and, and but not one scrap of evidence uh, that Drew did anything wrong has ever been uh, developed from any of these leads. Well, we, you know, uh, Joel uh, Joel Brodsky is here, attorney for Drew Peterson, that uh, in a high-profile case like this, tips are going to come in all the time. I, I know you're busy, Joel, and I really appreciate you coming on, but uh, one last question. Uh, there is some conflicting reports in the media. Has the trial uh, that was supposed to start in June actually been delayed now? Yeah, it's, we're going to we're scheduled to start on July 8th. Uh, my my conversation with Drew, uh, he's anxious to get the trial started. Uh, you know, he's looking forward to it. Uh, we're prepared, and we're, uh, I've got a new, we've got a, a couple of changes of lawyers that have taken place in the last, uh, you know, in the last uh, three months, but the new team is all, you know, prepared and ready to go. Uh, and we're ready, and uh, we're looking forward to the trial. Can, can I add just one, one thing, Dana? Sure. Uh, I, I would really like to. Um, once again, I'm sorry, I didn't uh, get back to you earlier. Um, you know, you would think that after three years of leads and tips and, uh, you know, r- rumors and gossip that have come in in this case on Stacey Peterson's disappearance, right? That n- nothing has been developed over those three years. Not one credible piece of evidence, has, not one even incredible piece of evidence over th- has been developed in over three years that the state police would at least start to have the, you know, open to at least the idea that Stacey Peterson is still alive and would at least start to devote some resources to looking for her, you know, alive somewhere and in hiding. Okay. Uh, you, know, you know, I mean, the three years of, of coming up dry would at least, you think, would alert them to the possibility and that they could devote some resources to looking for her you know, alive and, uh, you know, trying to be incognito somewhere. And, and I, w- I would hope that when this, again, this what's going on now in Peoria shows up, as it will 100%, uh, to be another false lead, that they will wake up and at least start to devote some resources to trying to find her alive somewhere. Joel Brodsky, attorney for Drew Peterson. Thank you, sir. appreciate your time. My pleasure. Take Ta- care. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, Blinkster, you heard it. What do you think? <laughs> well, my first reaction is I just want to emphasize to to your viewers, or excuse me, listeners, that it was not me in the bar. So the background <laughs> that you heard... Yes, it was. <laughs> no, it was not. I am in my office. I was getting I am after I am. Are you having a party? <laughs> that was not me. Um, but on a serious note, as you heard directly from Mr. Brodsky, yep. he's not in so much isolation. No. So... I just want to point that out. Yes. You know, he's an attorney, and I, I respect that, and I understand that. But just be, 
just because, first of all, I would, I guess I would say that I don't agree that there hasn't been any leads developed. Mr. Peterson's own brother-in-law mm-hmm. um, confessed uh, to helping him, yep. uh, attempted to commit suicide, received a fat amount of cash, and has not spoken again, first of all. So I wouldn't say there are no leads to support the fact that Stacey Peterson is, is walking, you know, amongst us. I don't agree with that. Secondly, just because they haven't found her does not mean that every lead that was, you know, followed up on did not necessarily pan out. We don't know what law enforcement has. Do I agree that if they do, it's it's highly circumstantial? Probably. Right. But I am not, you know, I'm not leaving this area uh, yet. They're going back there. They feel strongly about it. Mm-hmm. And let's just think positively. You know, and I agree. And, and I couldn't agree more that uh, the, the Peterson, uh, Stacy Peterson's family deserve some, and again, I hate using that damn term, closure. Uh, what it leads to as far as the investigation goes, does it implicate Drew Peterson? Does it whatever? Uh, does it, uh, yeah, it could be. Uh, I've probably received... Uh, since it went on the Scared Monkeys website, uh, and if you're just tuning in, Blink from Blink on Crime is here, and and she was uh, privy to the conversation I had with Drew Peterson's attorney, Joel Brodsky, and we're talking about that. We're going to talk about Joran Vandersloot uh, in a few minutes. Uh, I've probably received 15 email, uh, some nasty, that uh, why would you have uh, Joel Brodsky on the show? Why would you have Joel Brodsky on the show? It, it, but when you do this type of program like I do and like other shows do, you have to get both sides. And uh, Joel, yeah. Joel Brodsky, when you talk to him off the air, is a very nice man. Uh, and there are several defense attorneys that are absolutely hated. You know the system, Blink, as well as I do. Yeah. Uh, defense attorneys have a no-win situation. Now, he, he had the only question I was going to ask uh, Joel, and and uh, I've asked him before, and he always just laughs when I ask him, is that his client's got a big mouth. And uh, Drew Peterson and Joel Brodsky and Joran Vandersloot manipulated the media like you'd never believe when this was all going on. Joran Vandersloot was an expert at it. Uh, Greta Van Susteren and Steph Watt traveled to Thailand to get him to spew a bunch of nonsense over the uh, the air. The only true confession that came from Joran Vandersloot was to Peter R. DeVries in the undercover video. Drew Peterson, did he ever confess? No. I think he skirted it a few times. He walked the fine line, that cocky, that cocky walk. Of course his attorney is going to come on the air and say that there's no evidence, that he's going to, he feel, feels confident, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. But when we see these cases, Blink, uh, this isn't Florida, this isn't Casey Anthony. We're not hearing everything that the, uh, the prosecution has against Drew Peterson. True, and I and to your point, Dana. One of the things that these gentlemen have in common is the fact that there's no body. Yep. And anybody gets to say if, if there's a level of confidence on the behalf of the perpetrator. And by the way, you know there's a big age difference, but we are dealing with narcissistic sociopaths almost down the almost textbook with these two individuals. Um, certainly, Euron Vandersloot is a young guy. You know, he's, he's, he's comes from a different generation. But the traits that I'm seeing are fairly similar. The arrogance of the fact that, at least in their mind, they're not recoverable. Mm-hmm. No body, no crime. Yep. That's 
how they're operating. Yep. That's how they're, they have the ability to function and, and, and work the media the way that they have. Uh, with regard to your Vandersloot, I mean, first of all, if I may, I just want to give props to the forum and mm-hmm. the global administration at uh, Scared Monkeys Cosend and all of the mods because really, in the U.S., they broke this story. Yep. This was happening in Peru, and in minutes, I mean literally minutes, they had articles translated, and, and frankly, they, as you yourself have, and, and you're going to be talking to Red in a little while, you know, you, Scared Monkeys has really pioneered this case in terms of interaction, you know, from the U.S., and, you know, from stateside, internationally, and developing information real time. And it's it's really huge in terms of true crime and, and, and you know, following cases, et cetera. So I just wanted to give them, you know, what they deserve, actually, in my opinion. But also, with regard to, to your advantage loop, I, I just wanted to touch base a little bit on the fact that, you know, how shocked were we that he is allegedly committing another murder against a young woman? Yep. That in itself is huge. But to find out that the FBI is in the sting mm-hmm. for an extortion plot against Beth Holloway is mind-numbing. The arrogance of somebody. And, you know, this is from a guy whose father died in February mm-hmm. who was wealthy and had significant connections and has been paid by the media he, so he's got an income. He's you know he's playing poker. He's here. He's there. He's funded. You know he, when you say he's confessed and he has on several outlets. One thing I just want to remind everybody is if if this crime against Natalie Holloway had occurred in the United States, they our govern our, our statutes would not have allowed us to arrest him as a suspect right. based on the evidence that was available at all. You have to wonder, and uh, uh, I saw an article on Scared Monkeys about, and I missed Geraldo last night uh, talking to Bo Deedle, and uh, how Vandersloot uh, basically in this extortion sting uh, confessed again. And yeah, let, let me let me touch on that if you don't yeah, mind, Danny, because sure. it's really important. It is. Geraldo um, had Bo Deedle on, but he also had on Mark Furman. Yeah who was on with Greta, I don't recall uh, the line of you know programming that was on. But one of the things that Mark Furman uncovered is, that, well, not one of them, but a few things, is Euron Vandersloot uh, was in the Atlantic City Hotel, strangely enough, uh, was in it with, with um, the young lady. And apparently there was an international salsa singer that was there, had... Uh, noticed and recognized urine and actually went to the security chief and said, do you know who this guy is? And gave him the heads up. The security chief apparently didn't act on it. Uh, and subsequently they left, as we have all seen them on videotape. But what's, what's interesting to me is a couple things. When they entered his room, and I'm talking about Stephanie Flores Ramirez, when they entered his room, it was caught on, on tape and he, well, he was caught on tape leaving at around 8 a.m. for coffee. He purchased coffee. He came back to the room with two coffees. And then when he left approximately 9 a.m., he had one. 
But what's interesting is in the video that was released, you don't see him leave for coffee. Mm -hmm. You don't see him come back from coffee. So there's actually two entrances and exits for whatever reason, according to Mark Furman, that are not on that videotape. I don't know what that means necessarily, but then to back up to Bo Deedle, what he, apparently he's got some level of knowledge or involvement uh, in, in at least the, uh, I guess, awareness of what was going on. Yep. One thing that has not been disclosed prior to, at least that I've read from Bo Deedle, is that there was a $25,000 uh, deposit towards the $250,000 end payment with regard to urine disclosing uh, Natalie's remains and how she met her, her demise, how she met her end. There was a $10,000 cash prepayment that, that is not in that indictment. The indictment only specifies, and that's, and that's very likely because it's a wire fraud indictment. Right. You know, that's, that's where they, you know, that's where they went with it. But apparently, the Aruban government had a specific information, and they were aware of this thing from the get-go. Uh-huh. They were literally uh, surveilling urine. And when this transaction went down, which was on May 10th, this is the wire transfer I'm referring to, so the cash payment allegedly was literally counted out and paid during this videotaped meeting. So we have Joran Vander Sloot in two separate occasions in extortion. Legally under U.S. statute, he could have been arrested on the cash payment. Right. But we don't know if that was somewhat of an, you know, uh, a lead-in feature to the meeting where the actual, you know, a, kind of like a trust issue. Like, he's a smart enough guy, apparently, that he would have assumed that he might be surveilled or, or entrapped, if you will, in some way. So... It was probably, you know, a good faith gesture to get the other meeting is what I'm getting at. Um, and then, apparently, his plans to leave Aruba to head for South America were made known to the... Now, this is based on Greta's conversation that she mentioned last night, that she had spoken to uh, the equivalent of the Aruban uh, Attorney General, who said, we were aware that he was leaving... And we notified the U.S., meaning the FBI, and they ordered us not to detain him. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly nobody could expect that, you know, Euron, in my opinion, is a murderer right. of two women. And that's who's responsible, not anybody else. Not any mistakes, not this, not that. No. The bottom line is, in my personal opinion, the Aruban government helped him and covered up what he did had they not natalie would be recovered yep. and he would be in jail yeah it's plain and simple. that's my personal opinion on, on the matter but with regard to what happened with the fbi thing i feel strongly that at some point our government had to step in to see what they could do to bring this to closure and to recover natalie and an opportunity presented itself, and that's what they were acting on. They were looking at the bigger picture. I don't think anybody cared, you know, to arrest him for extortion at this point if no. we still had one of our own on their soil that had not been recovered. So I think, I think they deserve a pass 
if that actually, if, if what we're hearing is true, that they elected not to, to detain him, it was because they wanted to recover Natalie. And, and I, I stand by that. I couldn't agree more. Blink from Blink on Crime is here. I, I do find it interesting, and, and I heard the comment, or I've read the comment that uh, the Rubin authorities made saying that the FBI ordered them so they listen. That would be the first time in five years that the Rubin authorities have listened to anything that anyone has said, <laughs> uh, which I find totally mind-boggling. No one knew that, uh, that Vandersloot would go to Peru and this whole disaster would happen with a poor young girl. Uh, uh, but the, the term... I'm going to talk to Clint uh, Van Zant here in a little bit, who uh, is an expert when it comes to serial killers and spree killers, and and, and the media is running with serial killer when they uh, talk about Joran Vandersloot. Um, you've been, you know, around. You've been covering these stories. Is Joran Vandersloot a serial killer? No, not in my opinion. Yeah. I think he's very likely a serial rapist. Right. Um, I do. I think there's a slew of victims behind him that are either. Um, not remembering the encounter because he does, in my opinion, have an M.O. Of, of a date rape drug of some kind. He's got a track record, and I think that's part to blame. I think that he's from a family of privilege and has been able to, that has worked for him in, in his you know transgressions, if you will. I don't feel that he is uh, a serial murderer. I think you can make, draw parallels to young woman A in a bar uh, or a, you know, a hotel setting and young woman B, but that's about as far as you can get. I think he uses those, what he perceives as charms or, um, you know, char- charismaticness, if that's a word, but I, I personally do not think he fits the, the profile of a serial killer. Although, I'd be lying if I didn't say when Geraldo called him the Dutch Ted Bundy, <laughs> I didn't get a chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, and 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 some will say, "How dare you, Ted, Ted Bundy killed all these people?" And uh, and, it, and it, it, you have to sit back and 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 laugh at some of this. We're laughing on the outside, but it's not funny. We we've got a uh, a cover up, uh, incompetence, uh, a lousy investigation, uh, a family who. Um, uh, has gone to hell and back to try and find their daughter, uh, and now another family that will suffer because uh, uh, this individual allegedly committing this crime. Vandersloot, and I asked Jossie Mansur this, uh, do they know in Peru the way that he lies? Uh, I read an article tonight how Vandersloot is in tears uh, when they're interrogating him. I would love to see Joran Vandersloot spend the rest of his days in a Peruvian prison, uh, never mind what happened in uh, uh, the extortion thing. I agree with you. They're trying to find Natalie. That was the important part. Right. And, and, and nobody can be held at fault for that. They were doing what they could uh, to to get a narcissistic, uh, chronic liar, criminal, serial rapist, whatever you want to call him, to finally, because uh, those kind of guys are greedy, uh, to finally uh, maybe pay him some dough and he'll come up with something to, to find that poor girl. I don't right. know. I agree with you, and one of the things I want to I want to make sure that everybody in your listening audience understands that I hear everybody saying, "Well, he confessed, and he confessed four times," and I agree with that. He's confessed on video. Sure. He's confessed to anybody with an undercover camera <laughs> or sound equipment would, would hear. But what, you, what everybody needs to understand, if even if this occurred in the U.S., where if I walked into a precinct tomorrow and said I murdered, you know, this individual. Mm-hmm. If they checked my story out and there wasn't a singular corroborating fact, yep. 
they could not arrest me. Yep. They could not do anything other than investigate further. That is the law. That is the statute. Now, I don't claim to be an expert on a Rubin statute. I, I do know a little bit about it. It is that that confession would be enough to detain him as a suspect under a Rubin law. But they also have limitations on then whether or not they prosecute that individual. I don't want to get into a discussion on what's you know better or what's not. Obviously, I'm a citizen for a reason. I, I, I like it here. <laughs> it's not perfect, but it's the, in my opinion, it's the best there is. Um, so I just, you know, everybody's, this is such an emotional case with good reason. And these people deserve for Natalie to come home. And as you know, you've worked on this. We've seen both sides of this. We've seen people fight, fight, fight. And then eventually, you know, as in the Shetty case, as in, as in the Morgan Harrington case, where their loved ones are recovered and, and then they have that process of horror to go through. But really, nothing is worse than not being able to recover your child. Yeah. No, and the fact that this woman was murdered on the fifth anniversary yeah. of the disappearance of Natalie Holloway cannot be overlooked. Nope. No, it, it can't. It could it be a coincidence? I guess. Yep. But then you have this this guy who's on you know is under surveillance. There's a sting going on directly relative to her disappearance. So this girl ends up being murdered on that very day. You know, it begs. Apparently, there's some that believe they have known each other. Now, I don't believe that they were dating or no. anything along those lines. But they they certainly played poker together. Yep. Vandersloot's prowling. He's uh, a serial rapist. He's in the casino. He's looking for a, a fresh uh, victim. Uh, and, and, and I'm just speculating here. Uh, he gets her into the room. Uh, from what we're hearing as far as the condition of the body, uh, allegedly lost his cool, uh, strangled her, beat her with a bat, whatever it is. Uh, your, uh, Jossie Manser reports that even the poor young girl's eye was uh, dug out. Uh, was there narcotics involved? Possibly, against total speculation on my part. Uh, are we going to hear everything from the uh, Peruvian authorities? Probably not. I'm not sure what's, uh, what their disclosure uh, feature is there. Will the media slow down on this eventually? Probably. I, I'm sorry. I thought you were asking me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Will the media slow down on this? Yeah, sure they will, probably. Uh, but uh, and will that family in Peru grieve? Absolutely. Should Joran van der Sloot spend uh, the rest of his days in jail? Absolutely. But uh, no one should rest until Natalie Holloway gets the proper burial that she deserves. I think there's a possibility for that. I do. I think that the, um, the fact that this thing was going on and, yeah. the, and the federal indictment came down really puts kind of a, our line in the sand, if you will. We have a claim to this individual that we would not have had yeah. uh, without those being filed. In other words, we have an occasion to talk to him, even though he, he's going to face the uh, international murder charge if that's what it ends up being, certainly, you know, we take a back seat. But by the same token, we do have an, an entree to have a conversation with your own. You bet. And it, right. And in that regard, I have to feel optimistically, for once and for all, that information is important. And if it can help him out in his situation in any way, when I say help him out, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. You know, like, even if it's the, the prison that he's potentially going to is a prison for, I want to say, like 
6,000 prisoners, mm. and currently there's 13,000. <laughs> it is, you know, hell on earth, yeah. and the individual prisoners are paying for their own security. It is nothing like the U.S. system. It is a nightmare. And I couldn't think of a, a, a nicer guy for that to happen to, to be honest with you. But again, you know, we agree that I, I'm hopeful that we can progress the case to finding Natalie and bringing her home, if in fact she's recoverable. Yeah. No, that's, that is so true. And uh, to, to finally get the truth. And again, I still believe in the DeVries video, he has told the truth, but, ref, you know, finding her, recovering her is most important. Uh, Blink right. from Blink on Crime is here for about the next uh, eight minutes or so. And we're talking uh, Drew Peterson, you're on Vandersloot. Uh, after that, uh, Clint Van Zandt will be here and uh, even Red from uh, Scared Monkeys. And a little later on, uh, NBC News analyst Robin Sachs will be here to talk about uh, Peterson Vandersloot in the search for John Mark Carr, Alexis Reich, or whatever her name is. What do you think of that story? Which one? I'm sorry. John Mark Carr, who is now no longer uh. John Mark Carr, but Alexis Reicher Reich, uh, who listens to this program, by the way. And in fact, uh, if you're listening tonight, John or Alexis, according to the hits on the website, he does listen. Uh, I've seen the late, latest picture of you, buddy. You need to get a boot to a boutique. Your hair looks terrible. Anyway, your thoughts on that? I think he's. I think the second he interjected himself in the John Benet Ramsey case. Yep. I don't understand why he's even walking around. Oh, he's nuts. Yeah, he's dangerous. He he's he's a pedophile. Yep. He, and he's he's the worst kind of get it through your heads people. Pedophiles cannot be helped. They yeah. cannot be rehabilitated. Yeah. Uh you're going to be speaking to Clint in a little while and I believe he worked with uh, a couple of associates that I'm aware of and one of them is Ken Lanning yes. who was a 35-year uh, FBI uh he was in charge of he was a profiler but he his area of focus and concentration and how I interviewed him once was based on uh pedophilia. He's literally the pioneer for some of the current laws. One of the things that he pioneered was the fact that uh, possession of, of child porn, even if you download it onto your computer, if you physically view an image, that's a crime. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not really that old. I want to say circa 2005, something like that. Um, but one of the things that he shared with me, and, and I've never written on it, Dana, is because I almost felt like I walked away from that conversation. Like, if I did write on it, it would be instructing pedophiles that on, on how they're profiled within the FBI and they might you know do their shape-shifting thing but one of the things he told me is pedophiles what they do is they either they're either thinking about offending planning on offending uh, incarcerated so that they can't offend at the moment changing the way they might be able to offend or they are doing some type of a distracting behavior or addictive mechanism to fill the gap of offending. They are likely never rehabilitated. That's what I share personally in my, in my belief. Yeah. And I've not seen where anybody's proved that wrong. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is so true. And with John Mark Carr, again, and I've told the story many times, I'd never interviewed him on air, but I spoke to him on the phone about doing an interview. Spoke to him for probably 20, 25 minutes. And uh, 20, 
almost 28 years of a police officer now, um, 13 years doing this program. I've talked to people accused of murder, uh, convicted of murder, uh, pedophiles, uh, sexual assault, you name it. I've gone the whole thing. This guy absolutely creeped me out. And um, That says so much, Dana. Honestly, yeah. with your background, and, and first of all, I want to commend you for attempting to interview him. Yeah. Like you had said earlier that you know you got some flack for interviewing Joel Brodsky. It's really important to let people show themselves. Absolutely. And it's important from an awareness perspective, and it's important from, uh, you know, what you're saying. You know, that feedback is invaluable. If he creeped you out, (laughs) you know what I mean? This is a a dangerous cat. And uh, when I talk to Robin later, I I hope they found him. And again, uh, Johnny, if you're listening tonight, get to a hairdresser, man. That You know, we all thought that Kate Goslin's hair looked terrible. Yours looks worse. And you've got to look better than Kate if uh, you're going to be a Lexus. And, uh, John, you know how to get hold of me. Anyway, Blink from Blink on Crime is here. And we're talking uh, a a little bit of everything, Uh, all the shows, uh, all all the shows that we've done recently have dealt with these high-profile cases, and boy, has it been a crazy week in the news. And, and, and you mentioned it about Joel Brodsky. Uh, I think it was last year. I'm not sure if you caught the show. I did a show uh, where I had uh, Joel Brodsky, who represents uh, Drew Peterson. I had Joe Tacopina, uh, who represents uh, Euron Vandersloot, and I had Mark Gergos, who represents Scott Peterson, all, all, all on at the same time. I, are, are, really? Yes, I did. Is yeah. there... A, is there- that much optical fiber lines that <laughs> yeah you bet i had them all on at the same time and i i, I titled the show the guys you love to hate the most and, and the job of a defense attorney with a high profile case and if you go to scaredmonkeysradio.com just just run uh joe tacopina in there uh in the search engine and you'll bring up the show i think it was last year and these guys, all three of them, in fact, I contacted Joe Tacopina. I wanted to put him on the air tonight, and he's just getting overwhelmed with uh, requests and couldn't come on. Uh, but these are three guys absolutely hated uh, by the public, absolutely despised for who they represent, but call darn it, Blink. Uh, and if anyone, me as a police officer, should say about defense attorneys, because I've gone up against many, and I've lost cases against many, I, oh, I hate defense. But you know what? Defense attorneys have a place the system that we have is a good system. Yes, there are faults with it, uh, but we need guys like those guys out there. Absolutely. And one thing I want to say, just from my perspective, I don't hate anybody for, for making a living. I may not agree with with the type of clients that they have or the way that they go about it, um, but I, I can at least respect someone's ability or, or need to do that. Yeah. With regard to defense attorneys, one of them is a very very good friend of mine uh, in the who had been uh, an attorney in the Casey Anthony case is Mark Nijame, and I've spent time with him. I've been around him. I've I've been around him in a non-disclosure way. As you know, he represents Tiger Woods or represented. I don't know that they that he still does or or that Mr. Woods would have a need for him, but I do think there's different calibers of them. And when I say that, uh, for instance, Mr. Gerdos, he was on Greta. You know. Three nights a week when Scott Peterson, you know, was being looked at for the disappearance of his wife, Lacey Peterson, who had him, you know, nailed to the cross, guilty. So then for him to come back in and defend him, for me, (laughs) was disingenuous. Yep. And that that is the issue that I had with that. Uh, one One gentleman that I'll bring up is Dan Horowitz. Uh, Dan Horowitz, 
will not take certain cases now because of the personal uh, situation that he faced where his wife was was murdered you know by a, i want to say a 16 year old kid or, yes. or something like that something you know, like in a, that yeah. in a mo- uh, trailer that was a construction trailer that was on the site of their home being built so i do think there is a difference in the caliber mm-hmm. uh, of of attorneys that being said um Sometimes there's not. <laughs> in the case of Mr. Tecapina, I mean, he was a stateside attorney yep. that was hired here, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because the Holloways... Civil case, yeah. Right, where we're uh, in a wrongful death, we're hoping to have a wrongful death action based out of New York, which between, you know, between us friends, I don't think they ever really thought had any legs, but I commend them for doing it because often times the only way to get case files or information on an investigation that has stalled is through that endeavor and i would have advised them to do the same thing did it get them anywhere you know no but they are a necessary evil and for any person that doesn't think they are think about placing yourself in a situation where you are accused of something that you haven't done you're going to have to call somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I no, I agree. And uh, you know what? Our, our it's been a great interview. Our time is up. Uh, blink from Blink on Crime. I appreciate it. And one thing that we'll end on is none of these uh, uh, high-profile attorneys have done themselves any good. I believe in the media uh, when they right. come on and then later go and defend. That just it's a public perception. You know, do your job as a defense attorney, but uh, uh, decide what you want to be first—a talking head or a defense attorney—and uh, go from there. That's just my thought. Anyway, thank you, ma'am. I agree. Thanks. Have a good evening, Dana. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Blink from Blink on Crime. My name is Dana Pretzer. This is uh, Scared Monkeys Radio. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come right back with former FBI agent Clint Van Sant. Okay, we're back. This is the Dana Pretzer Show here on Scared Monkeys Radio. My next guest, Clint Van Zant, many, many years in the FBI, profiler, hostage negotiator, uh, now as an author, safety expert. Uh, his website, livesecure.org, is so important uh, for you, for your safety information, and uh, uh, something that will help protect you and your loved ones, something called the Silent Bodyguard. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Clint, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dana. Good to be with you again. It's been a hell of a week, hasn't it? Uh, let's Boy, it's been, and it just just keeps going. Boy, uh, I'll tell you. Let's talk about Drew Peterson first. I had his attorney on uh, earlier on this evening. Uh, Joel Brodsky says that this uh, recent tip uh, and the search is uh, ludicrous. Uh, his client is in protective custody, uh, has no way to talk to any other uh, inmates. Uh, and as you and I both know, most defense attorneys think jailhouse confessions are, uh, or jailhouse snitches, I should say, are a bunch of nonsense. Um, I'm hoping that they do find Stacy Peterson. It would be great to see her alive, but it would be even, uh, you know, it, it would be some closure for the family to find her and then to bring who's ever uh, responsible for her death uh, uh, to trial. Uh, let's talk about Drew Peterson and the comments of Joel Brodsky. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. I mean, as you know, in the United States, there's about 800,000 people that go missing every year. Most of them, we find them, they're runaways, they're throwaways. Uh, you know, uh, even though we still have about 16,500 homicides, and in those, sometimes we can't confirm it's a homicide because, you know, in some cases we don't have a body. This seems to be the case in uh, Drew Peterson's fourth wife. I think most assume that she has been the victim of a homicide and yet we don't have a body and 
as you and I have talked from day one, I mean, should Drew Peterson be responsible for the disappearance and death of his fourth wife, who better than a cop knows how to get rid of a body? And I think yep. that's that's where it always lies. This this most recent case, you know, I, I've kind of vacillated. I thought, well, you know, if it's a jailhouse snitch, you and I know many times it's somebody just trying to get a reduction on their sentence. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the guys tell me they make up stories about somebody else thinking that we're going to use that alone and that'll get a reduction in their sentence. And, you know, this story seemed to have a little more gravity. It, it appears the jailhouse snitch pointed uh, the investigators to another person who allegedly helped uh, Drew Peterson dispose of uh, a body in a metal container. And there was a story circulating today that, in fact, that metal container had been found buried underground. But, you know, there's there's stories, and then there are stories again. When, when this first broke, Dana, in all honesty, I thought this was Drew Peterson just trying to bust the chops of police again. Mm-hmm. I thought it was him <laughs> trying to have fun at the expense of law enforcement, or, or, or maybe he had somebody inside he was talking to, and he just wanted to see if he could test a guy or not, so he floated the story out to see what the response would be. So, you know, there's a number of different alternatives. What I don't think it was is what at least one or more uh, Peterson attorneys have suggested is law enforcement trying to get attention because the trial's coming up. I mean, there's, this guy's brought enough attention on himself. Law enforcement doesn't have to go out of their way to do it. Yeah, in effect, uh, Joel Broski stayed away from that tonight. Uh, but I have seen uh, press reports where he've said that it's nothing more than uh, them trying to dirty up the trial and dirty up his client that uh, is coming up in July. Uh, Peterson, when we use this term, and I've interviewed him, uh, you, you hear it in the media and on crime shows all the time, someone with a narcissistic personality. Right. I, I just say Drew Peterson, and he admitted it himself one night when I interviewed him, he's got a big mouth. Uh, being a cop for 30 years, uh, and and doing the work that he's done, uh, policemen love to brag. They like to talk. And uh, whether or not there is any credibility to this story where Drew Peterson has talked, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, maybe, and a lot of times clients of attorneys and, and those accused do get in trouble because of their talking. But you know what, Clint? i got to admit, I thought, just like you when I first heard this, this is Drew Peterson playing the media again. I did. I, I thought he's just playing the game. I thought, and he's going to show he can even do it from behind bars, you know. <laughs> if, if, if he can't uh, stage a win-a-date with Drew contest on the outside, <laughs> he's going to come up with something on the inside. And yep. I thought, you bastard, you, you're just... You're just trying to play the system. But, you know, I'll wait it out and see. But, you know, unless you know better than I, so far they haven't found anything. No, the stories I'm seeing tonight is that the the search has been suspended. They're looking for some uh, ground-penetrating equipment, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, time will tell. I hope for the Stacey Peterson family that she has found. Uh, And if it's Drew Peterson playing the media, you're right uh, when you make that term, you bastard. Well, you know, this this case has always been... You know, probably the next case you're going to talk about, perhaps Natalie Holloway, we've got one more no body, no case, you know, and uh, we need a body. I mean, the nonsense that uh, Drew Peterson's fourth wife took off with Mr. Unknown and has been gone ever since and has never checked on the status of her four children, I mean, how... How Drew Peterson can even say that with a straight face as if there's any plausibility to it tells you that his, his capability for uh, passing off fiction is the truth.
Clint Van Zant is here. Uh, check out his website at livesecure.org uh, and, and learn a little bit about something called the Silent Bodyguard, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Joran van der Sloot, uh, you're someone who's covered that story uh, from day, day one. one. Yeah. yeah, and here we go. Uh, we've we've got extortion. We have another uh, alleged murder in in Peru. Uh, five years to the date, a casino, uh, uh, gambling, uh, the the whole thing. A young girl. It, it's it's eerie. Well, you know, there's a couple of aspects to this. You know, number one, I read a story in a Peruvian paper tonight where an official is dubbed him a serial killer. Yeah. Well, you and I know a serial killer is somebody who kills three of, three or more people with an emotional cooling-off period in between the crimes, and even at best right now, as he's suspected of two. Now, could he have uh, slid a few more in over the last five years? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. But I hate to see these tremendous... You know, let's take him for what we got him, okay? Yeah. Number one, let's take him for the current homicide that we have in Peru. You've got a body, you've got a crime scene, you've got physical evidence, you've got blood transfer, you have eyewitnesses, you have camera shots, you have money. I mean, you've got all of the elements, all of the physical elements and emotional elements that you're going to need to prove a crime. Now, the one thing I think in that the jury's going to want to know is motive. Well, I've heard, and maybe you can help clarify for me, I've heard that she won... She, the victim, that night won somewhere between about seventeen hundred U.S. dollars and about five thousand U.S. dollars yep. in a in a poker tournament, and that she had that money with her, and that after being with him, the money's not in her car and it's not in the apartment. So one has to conclude that uh, her assailant carried the money off. So as as I look at this and try to understand what his motive would be. If this money is missing, it could be something as simple as that. He saw somebody with money. He came up with a story to get her up to his room. He wanted the money, and everything went downhill. And uh, this sociopathic individual just murdered for the money and was gone. And because he got away with it in Aruba, somehow thought if he could put 2,500 miles between uh, the crime scene and get to a Dutch protectorate, that maybe he'd be safe. Clint Van Zandt's here. We're talking about Drew Peterson and uh, the Euron Vandersloot case. Uh, when you look at Vandersloot, uh, I've used the term that he is a, a master manipulator of the media. Uh, some cable crime shows have actually traveled to Thailand to interview him. He, he has uh, used the media to his advantage, and and now we're hearing of a sting uh, where he was trying to extort the Holloway family for uh, money to find uh, Natalie Holloway and f- for him to tell them uh, what he did. Let's talk about the extortion part of it yeah. and how it reflects on what Vandersloot was thinking, obviously agreed for money. When, num- number one, it shows me that if he's guilty of this, this is a guy who's just lower than whale feces. I mean, this <laughs> is like in China where they uh, take your son or your husband out uh, in, a, in front of a firing squad, yeah. shoot him, and then they charge you for the bullet yeah. that was used to kill your loved one. I mean, in this particular case, I think most of the world believes he's responsible for the disappearance and assumed death, and now he turns around and approaches the people who yeah. he has hurt the most to try to sell this information. Well, I tell you what, when I heard this was coming down recently, when I heard this was going down, I mean, you know, if, if I would have had a hundred candles on a cake, I would have lit them because my thought was, 
we're going to get you, you smartass. Yeah. You know, you think you're going to pull this off. The FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office is going to lock you up in a New York minute. And I think the coincidence is he would have been busted this last week for that extortion case had he not become a suspect in this homicide case. But what, what it indicates, Dana, is that I think his, his emotional, his psychological life was starting to come unglued. He was really starting to get clumsy and sloppy, and he needed money, and things weren't going the way. You know, his, obviously his father's dead now, and he's lost that level of emotional support. So I think this guy, and, and please know that I'm not trying to say let's pity him. Right. I'm just simply saying I think he, what we see is this guy starting to come unglued on us. Yeah, he's he's at the lowest uh, common denominator that he can get to. Just when you think he's done enough, he continues on and does more. Serial killer, no uh, uh, lower than whale feces, to quote my guest, absolutely. And we're talking about Joran van der Sloot. Clint Van Zandt is here. Uh, when you see this case now, and uh, you go back to five years ago, and the Rubin authorities, and, and we talk about the investigation and, and the alleged cover-up, and uh, 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 Paulus van der no body, no crime, uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, and now with the extortion, and you think about the Holloway family. I've interviewed them. You know them. Sure. Uh, you've I been know. on. T- you've been on TV with them. Uh, the ups and downs uh, of something like this. It's tough enough to lose a loved one, but to be bounced around emotionally like this has got to be tough. Oh, you know, you're always hoping upon hope upon hope. I mean. I remember, you know, one night, uh, one day on Dr. Phil, and Dr. Phil was going to roll out the story that Natalie may well have been kidnapped and was being held as a sex slave. And I mean, Beth, Natalie's mother, was clinging to that, of course, just clinging to the hope that her daughter would be alive. Yeah. But, you know, let me, let me revisit Vandersloot just one more time. What I found out was, uh, you know, he was gambling in, in the casinos in Aruba at 17, which is against the law. You've got to be 18. And his father had established a $50,000 line of credit for him Mm -hmm. at the casinos. Well, you know, most of your listeners know that, you know, who we are, it's a combination of nature and nurture. It's what we get from our parents biologically, and it's how we grow up. And, you know, our parents have a big impact on us. And when you see parents like that enabling him, you know, really planting the idea that you're rich, that you're special, you have things coming to you that nobody else does, and somebody 16, 17 starts to believe it, between that narcissism and that budding sociopathic personality, it's not hard to believe it would carry him into these crimes and probably others, Dana, that we don't know about yet. So one of my guests earlier this evening, uh, when I asked her if she thought that Joran van der Sloot was a serial killer, she said, no, serial rapist, maybe. Yeah, and I think that could be the case, too. What What we're missing is, of course, when he was in Thailand allegedly trying to sell women into prostitution and take them back to Holland, you know, what were his activities there? And I would think this guy, whether they be rape victims or robbery victims, he's left a trail of people out there who just haven't raised their hand. But this last, this last crime was so stupid, was so clumsy, was so Sloppy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, uh, if he was on drugs, if he was intoxicated, but to leave that level of crime scene in a room in his name, and to somehow think maybe you could flee that and get away with it, and it almost harkens back to Aruba, 
where most believe he did get away with murder. He was given a pass. The police did a lousy investigation. Uh, and maybe in his mind, Dana, maybe he thought the same poor level of investigation would take place. Well, if he did, he sure picked the wrong victim in the wrong place. Yeah, he's wrong for sure. Clint Van Zant is here. Uh, it's all about protecting our loved ones, uh, Clint, and uh, we'll get to Silent Bodyguard in just a minute or two. Uh, but uh, you're well-versed on John Benet Ramsey. Uh, John Mark Carr is back in the uh, in the media. Uh, I've been told that he listens to this particular program on a regular basis to hear his name being mentioned. Uh, I'm going to interview the attorney that's looking to... Uh, to serve him uh, in a little bit, Robin Sachs, who is a uh, also an NBC News analyst, as you are. Uh, John Mark Carr, uh, now Alexis Reich. Uh, the media, how they played John Mark Carr, manipulated them. Uh, the media with Drew Peterson, the media with Joran Vandersloot. It's interesting that the celebrity website TMZ uh, was the one to to break the uh, Drew Peterson search story, and usually they're talking about paparazzi and uh, yeah. and what Lindsay Lohan has been doing. What about the media and those three individuals? Well, the media keeps looking for a story, and the media is called legs. Yeah. If you look for a story that has legs, is it going to be able to stand on it more than a day or two? And if it is, you know, the media gravitates to it. You and I talked before about Natalie Holloway in Aruba and <clears throat> and uh I was uh I've been down there, Greta Van Sestren had been down there and others and I ran into her in the studio, uh, you know, this was four and a half years ago. And I said, Greta, you know, we've been covering the networks have been covering this story for six months and she said words to the effect, she said, Clint, she said, you know, my ratings have doubled mm-hmm. since I started doing this story nightly. You know, what am I gonna do? Well, I think that's where you see the Nancy Graces and you see the Gretas and others. They grab onto these stories, it impacts on their ratings, and unfortunately, the public winds up being spoon-fed these stories every night. And, you know, <clears throat> as, as important as Natalie Holloway being missing is and as important as this girl being murdered uh, down in South America, there are a lot of important stories in this country we could be covering, but the media, yep. especially some of these tabloid shows they just every night they jam it into your face and they do it over and over again and somehow you know the reality is if people weren't watching those shows wouldn't continue so somehow they're striking to me you know the worst part of our personalities is that somehow we're living uh, gre- uh, gregariously or through those stories there's something about that and many times it's just gee, how close am I, and uh, what should I learn from a story like that? But others just look at these things like a soap opera, and when they call in and they have their own opinions, and, you know, it's uh, sometimes I just want to take it and turn it off and not hear about it. But, Dana, you know, I'm no saint, buddy, because here I am talking (laughs) about it, and one of the ways I do is by keeping contact with law enforcement and the media. I just did a, 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 a newspaper interview on a seven-year-old child that's missing out of a public school in Oregon. Uh, mother took him to school at 9 o'clock in the morning. He started to walk to his classroom. 3.30 at night, he, he wasn't on the bus coming home. Teacher had marked him absent. Nobody has seen the child. I mean, Dana, the two safest places for our children is supposed to be within our home and within a school when we know they're there. This child was in the school walking down the hallway toward his classroom, 
and vanished in thin air. And here we are now Sunday night, and that little seven-year-old boy hasn't been found yet. So there's a lot of challenges out there that deserve our attention. Absolutely, and stories that need to be told. Let's talk about Silent Bodyguard. Uh, so important to protect your loved ones. Yeah, Silent Bodyguard, it was a, a concept a couple of Californians came up with, a woman who had uh, two children in college, and both of her children had friends, uh, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, high-profile stories where two young girls had been uh, kidnapped and murdered uh, and just had their cell phones and didn't use it. And to make a very long story short, Silent Bodyguard is an application both for iPhones, smartphones, as well as Blackberries. I think it cost a dollar, Dana, mm-hmm. 99 or a dollar 99 for the application. You put it on your phone, it allows you to program in one text number and three uh, email messages or three email addresses. And so if I'm in trouble and I've got the phone in my pocket, I don't have to pull it out, I don't have to do anything else. I hit one button and it immediately sends out four messages to four different people. It does this every 60 seconds. And along with my message, it says, this is Clint Van Zandt. I'm in help. I need some help. Please send police. It also sends a Google map with my exact location, GPS location, and it updates that map every 60 seconds. So if someone has been taken, number one, we know they're in trouble. We know where to look in town right away. And number two, if they've been moved, we've got a direction they're moving in. For you and I as investigators, to get something other than just there's a missing person, but here is the direction they're moving and the coordinates they're at right now. I mean, these can save lives. It's, to me, you know, next to the two-way radio for police, one of the best things that civilians can have, you know, short of a weapon to carry or something. And it's an easy app. You can go to our website, uh, livesecure.org to the website. You can go to the uh, uh, iPhone application page and download it. Easy thing to do. I mean, I've, I've bought it for every member of my family, and I've bought codes when I meet people on the street and they tell me something. I say, here, here's a code loaded. It's yours free. And I'm just starting to give these things away. So uh, for your listeners, it's a wonderful thing to have, and it's a wonderful thing to recommend your friends have. And a friend of mine who's a hunter, uh, he said, you know, he said, I bought it. He said, because I'm out in the middle of nowhere hunting sometimes, and if something happens to me, he says, I want to be able to get help, and I want him to know my GPS location. And he said, I'll use Silent Bodyguard for that. And I thought, that's a wonderful application of that application. Absolutely. And at the age of technology, it is so important. Such a cheap insurance policy, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a an on-star for your phone. I'll, I'll use that term. Yeah, I, I gave a speech uh, the other day for a real a realty company talking about how realty agencies, especially women, can protect themselves when they have to go out and meet clients by themselves. You bet. And there was about 100 realtors at the meeting, and the woman who owns the agency walked around and gave a dollar to everybody who worked for her. And she said, here's a buck piece for everybody. She says, I want you all to get on the Internet right now and put that on your phone. She said, that's something I want to give you. I want each of you to carry an extra tool with you to protect your life. And I thought that's, that's a nice way to do it. Absolutely. Make it happen right then. You bet. It's called Silent Bodyguard, and Clint's website is livesecure.org. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Good to be with you. Okay, bye-bye.
That's Dr. Clint Van Zant, and when I say doctor, yeah, he is. He he has the master's degree, uh, Ph.D., uh, uh, FBI uh, hostage negotiator, profiler, uh, you name it. I love that comment, lower than uh, whale poop. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. We're going to take a break. This is Scared Monkeys Radio, a special edition of Scared Monkeys Radio tonight, uh, covering the Joran Vandersloot and Drew Peterson uh, and John Mark Carr uh, updates, high-profile cases in the news. Uh, we're not pretenders here. We're not imitators here. We are the real deal here on Scared Monkeys Radio. We're going to take a break and come back with uh, the real deal, the guy that's behind Scared Monkeys, Red. We'll take a break. We'll be right back here on the Dana Pretzer Show. Okay, we're back. This is the Dana Pretzer Show, the man behind uh, scaredmonkeys.com. Uh, one of them, many, many others, uh, Klaus and, and, and others, we heard Blink uh, a little bit earlier, is Red and uh, someone, uh, you know, who's, who's close to the Holloway family who, who searched uh, the garbage dump in Aruba for Natalie Holloway, who's been following this case. And i got to agree with uh, our uh, blog, sister blog, uh, uh, goddess, we'll call her the goddess of uh, of uh, Blink on Crime, when she says the excellent job that you guys have been doing at Scared Monkeys covering this story. Uh, Red, did you ever think, and I think I know your answer, that would be talking about Joran Vandersloot and another murder? Dana said yes. Um, I did. I didn't quite think um, it would be exactly how we're seeing this thing play out mm-hmm. with the with the murder of Stephanie Flores, but I mean, I think we we knew that this day was coming. And I think with many of your other guests have previously said, it's been said in the media, um, how many actually more people are out there that we just don't know about? Yep. I mean, this, this punk has been everywhere. Um, he's been in areas where, you know, if you're talking Thailand, I mean, no one pays any attention there. You just, I mean, and especially in, with the nefarious stuff that he's been accused of doing in Thailand, I mean, we really have to wonder uh, how many people could potentially be dead or um, sexually assaulted. And I, I think, I think um, when people call him a serial killer, mm, I, I, I don't think he's a serial killer. I think he does kill. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I think I would have to agree with uh, with Blink in that he he is a serial rapist. Yep. That that's for certain. Yeah, well said on her part. Uh, Red from Scared Monkeys is here, and we're we're talking about um, obviously the Holloway story. Uh, take us back uh, to your time in Aruba. You know, it's it's in some respects it seems like it's yesterday. In some respects, it seems so long ago, Dana. That. Uh, you know, going down there with um, at the request of uh, Tim Miller, um, helping the TES search for for Natalie. And initially, we thought we were gonna when when I had first gone down there, we thought we were gonna be searching the water. And uh, suddenly, it made a complete 180, and we were in the uh, landfill, <coughs> somewhat unprepared <laughs> to do that search um, a little bit, but. You know, you have to do what you have to do. And it just, uh, you know, to this day, Dana, I mean, I I don't know how um, families go through a lot of this stuff because it it, it still haunts me to this day that uh, having to dig side by side with Dave Holloway, um, 
in, in, in just the worst conditions whatsoever. I mean, there are landfills, and there are landfills. And trust me, a landfill in a third world country is the most ungodly place you've ever been. Yeah. And thinking potentially that we could provide some type of closure for the family um, in finding her, and then sometimes we thought we did. And, and then you thought to yourself, you know, good God, I, Dave Holloway is two feet away from me. I don't know if I want to find his daughter yeah. and, and see this man break down. And, uh, you know, it, it just is a... Uh, it just is an amazing uh, turn of events going back, you know, to 2005 to flash forward to now as to what we're presented in the news. I don't think anyone is shocked to, to see what's happening in the news, like you say, and, and, and we all know innocent until proven guilty, but we're, we're talking about a different jurisdiction here now. Uh, we're talking about um, I, I, Clint and uh, Van Zant and uh, Blink both put it together, and, and even Jossie, uh, there's uh, physical evidence, there's video, there's uh, there's lots uh, uh, out there. Joran Vandersloot can cry all he wants, and he can lie all he wants. Uh, he's... Um, I think Clint called him lower than whale poop uh, in trouble this time uh, and he probably will spend the rest of his life if convicted in a Peruvian jail that doesn't bring Natalie Holloway back do you see a, a, a scintilla of chance that an FBI agent goes over and, and interviews Vandersloot that he'll finally and I think he already has told the truth in the DeVries video but he'll finally say if Natalie is recoverable you know what my question, my answer to that would be, Dana? Does it matter? Yeah. No, that's a good point. Did, would, would, would Aruba do anything no. if he confessed and said anything? Uh, I mean, the, with, with deference to Clint, um, you know, he does a disservice to Whale Dung, <laughs> actually. But um, this piece of garbage, it just doesn't matter. And, and I don't know what's worse. I mean, and obviously you know how passionate I get about this story and how disgusted I get about Aruba and what they did, but I don't think it matters. They could have this kid, and they do have this kid, on video confessing to a murder, and they do nothing. They, they, They probably at this point are maybe doing... I don't know what dance would they do in Aruba. They're, they're not doing a jig, but they're doing some type of <laughs> dance right now because this kid screwed up yeah. in Peru. Yeah. He couldn't have picked a worse place, maybe Turkey. Right. That's, about, that's about it, to have per- done the crime that he just did with potentially aggravated robbery that winds up in a death, which is a life sentence. He would have been better off raping the girl and doing a sexual assault and killing her. Yeah as opposed to this type of crime in Peru. And ultimately, he is going to get exactly what he should have gotten five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I've discussed this over and over, and what we're going to see, we may never find out what happened to Natalie, because I don't think he's going to give the family the benefit. I don't think he has a soul. He's not going to do the right thing. But, I mean, we can always pray that he does. But that being said, when he did this in Peru, you know, it's like being in the States. Where do you want to commit the crime, Vermont or Texas? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think we know the answer to that. And and I just say to myself, how in... 
this is going to be Natalie's trial by proxy. And I think every single person following this case for the past five years is going to be able to look at this and say, huh, look what Peru did. What did Aruba do on the same thing? What, what did Peru do? What did Aruba do? And we hear the whole no body, no crime, and mm-hmm. th- there's just a mountain of evidence in this case. Well, why wasn't there a mountain of evidence in Aruba? And we know the answer to that, too. Look what happens when Joran van der Sloot is kept to his own device, and he doesn't have Papa Smurf there cleaning up his mess and basically getting rid of bodies for him. This, I mean, it is just amazing to look at this case and see the fact that in one case, there's just nothing. And he did the same thing. Right. In this case, could he have been more clumsy? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, and I'm totally speculating. I don't know the, the facts. Uh, you know, we're hearing what we uh, hear in the media, but whether narcotics are involved, whether he's just, uh, he was strung out, whether it was uh, uh, a violent robbery, whether it was whatever, doesn't matter uh, right now. If they can convict him and put him where he belongs, the great thing. And, and i got to agree with you, Red. I, I don't think... I hope I'm wrong. I don't think he's going to do the right thing and 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 talk about Natalie Holloway. But uh, the Aruban authorities, uh, Jossie mentioned it, and uh, and Blink and all my guests this evening have mentioned when I'm talking about the uh, the extortion uh, plot here that they uh, were aware and were cooperating with the extortion plot. I, I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I've got mixed feelings. Um, I, is it important to, to pay someone like this to, but he to, to get him to finally tell the truth? But is this a way also to? Uh, and I think Clint used the term "we got you, you bastard." Um, uh, I think it was more "we got you, you bastard" because I don't think he was ever going to say what happened or or cooperate. He's just greedy for money. Actually, Clint, what Clint said was my favorite quote of the night. Night and it was we got you, you smartass. You smartass. Okay, I think he said bastard one time too, but <laughs> but but I think when we're dealing with this, yeah, you, you, the classic to this is Yorn is going to look back on this and wish to God that he was busted for the extortion. Yep, because then at that point he would be serving his time in a U.S. jail and not um, in a Peruvian prison mm-hmm. where. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. That's all I have to say. Um, the, I get what they were doing. Um, did they drop the ball a little bit? Yeah, mm-hmm. they did. Um, I don't quite understand why he wasn't arrested on the 10th and allowed to leave um, on the 13th. I'm really not sure what was going on there. But um, their heart was in the right place. Mm-hmm. And I think if we look back on... On, on what was going on with this, they were going to need something to entice him to... to and, and, you know, Dana, you and I have never been put into this position. I mean, I, how, much do you, how much is information worth of your child um, for you to have peace of mind that you don't go crazy? I mean, you know, Beth and I are friends, and, I mean, she is one of the strongest-willed individuals I've ever met. But that doesn't mean there aren't times where I feel terrible 
just being around her when there is that moment of good god her daughter's gone she's never going to see her and she may never have closure in any of this and that's sometimes more than anyone can take with it especially when you have you know a son of a bitch like like uh vandersloot profiting and and not only profiting off the fact that your daughter's dead but thumbing your nose at you in the process and I mean, so when it comes to this, like I said, when it comes to this extortion, um, he, it is amazing to me that he would have fallen into this type of trap because you know and I know that everybody has been trying to get some kind of a connection to the United States to have some type of jurisdiction in this case. You know, the the, the Holloways have tried in the past and have failed. Sure. Um, to, you know, they served him getting off the plane in New York City and, you know, judge threw it out. But in this particular case, this would have created that jurisdiction necessary to have tried him in a U.S. court and away from and out of Aruba. And he would have been doing time for, for what was going on with this. But, you know, that being said, he decides to murder somebody instead, which was such a, the same M.O., that we look back uh, yeah. for 2005, the only difference being he did it in Peru, didn't do it in Aruba. His daddy's dead. There's no one to save his butt this time. You know, and, and, and I think I said it in my last commentary that when I first heard about this and, and saw the facts and read the story, the and I don't have much hair left on the top of my head, but the hair on the back of my neck stood up because uh, five years ago, the casino, the whole thing, young girl, and, and it just, it, it made me angry. It made me heartsick. Uh, you know, if, if they, you, know, you can't go back right now. We can talk about it, but if they would have done this right and he was in jail, this young girl would still be alive. Again, we have to throw out the word alleged right now and uh, do, do what we can to to try and get all the facts out here. But I want to ask you, Red, well, I've still got you for a few minutes before we go to Robin Sachs. Um, running the blog the way that you do, and, and I know all the others that help you, and you guys do such a great job, and I'm just a small part of it doing the, the radio show each week. Um, but I rely so much on what you guys uh, read, write, and report on. Uh, 98.9% of, uh, of those on the blog are truly interested, curious, want to help, good hearts, doing what they want on every story because they, there is a, a public craving for, for these types of stories. The mainstream media has, has blown it. Uh, the, the Internet, the blogs, the types of shows that we do here is the way of the future. It's not even the way of the future. It's the way of today for what I like to call mainstream media. Yet there's that dark side. You're going to get the ugly comments tonight. I'm going to get the ugly comments tonight. I've already got them. And there's still those out there that just, they'll say nasty things about Natalie Holloway and, and Jennifer Kessie. And, and then, by gosh, we even got John Mark Carr listening to the show, or, or Alexis, or whatever he wants to call himself tonight. And I said earlier on, uh, you know, I'm so disappointed that they, he needs to get to a hairstylist. He, he looks like he's wearing a Kate Goslin wig. Uh, but uh, it, that's so important to, to see those people listening, too. Love us or hate us. We're not imitators here. We are the real thing. Dana, ugly comments just tonight. What are you kidding? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, no. This um, 
What, what's kind of funny about this is that there's, you know, obviously there's uh, there's going to be light and darkness in in everything. It's the it's always the battle of good and evil when it comes to this type of stuff. Whether it's you know whether us talking uh, about crime or or anything really in 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 society, but what we see is good does always prevail. Right. It always does, and you will always see people trying their hardest to and in you know in one of the silver linings i guess of of having uh this case come out again is it, it's nice to see a lot of the old um the the old posters mm-hmm. that uh you know obviously they've got busy lives and especially in you know things going on today and but they all managed to come back and it, and it's nice to see them and and it doesn't mean that they don't out that they're not out there reading that they that they don't keep informed but when it comes to the dark side yeah, you're going to have your idiots. I mean, of course you are. In in this case, we used to we call it, um, you know, it's BDS. It's Beth Derangement Syndrome. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people will blame Beth Holloway for everything, uh, including probably the uh, Kennedy assassination. <laughs> I mean, they and it, and it, and it is sad that people are that shallow, are that. Um, miserable with their own lives that they can't just do something positive instead of trying to find the answers to something that they know is completely 100% wrong and I think what happened in this case even some of the hardiest uh, dark side people uh, peeled off (laughs) when uh, Jorn Vandersloot killed again there are no excuses for this there are uh, you know there was no one else that did it um as I as I posted uh, earlier in the earlier in the week, two people entered the room. One man left, yep. and his goose is cooked. And there's no way to come up with excuse, excuses for it. Although people will try, and in this particular case, you you see people starting to uh, circle the Aruban bandwagon again because they know damn well they screwed up. And I'm sorry if it hurts, but you got blood on your hands. You thought it was so funny and such a joke to basically let a killer off free because of cronyism, corruption, and the crap that went on down there. For the past five years, they had an opportunity to do something. They did nothing. And all I would say, they've got a new government down there. MEP isn't in anymore. they got AVP. Eamon's in. You guys actually have an opportunity to make a first impression the second time around. Yep. Do the right thing and just stop the madness. You, they need closure just as much as, as everybody else, but I, they probably won't do it because I think Peru's probably going to deal with their dirty, dirty laundry and take care of uh, Vandersloot themselves because he screwed with the wrong people, the wrong country, and the wrong family. It'll be interesting. Um, we'll be watching this story, and of course, uh, stay tuned to ScaredMonkeys.com, this radio station uh, at ScaredMonkeys or ScaredMonkeysRadio.com for all the breaking news in the uh, Holloway case. Uh, Red, thank you. I hear in Peru that prisons are so overcrowded, according to uh, to Clint Van Zandt, that they, they stack them like cordwood in the, uh, in the cells, and guys like John Mark Carr come around and pick up the soap that's dropped. So uh, it should be interesting for your end. Thank you, Dana. You have a great evening. Great show tonight. Take care, buddy. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks.
That's Red from uh, ScaredMonkeys.com. Uh, We're going to take a break and come back with uh, former felony prosecutor and NBC news analyst Robin Sachs. This is the Dan Pretzer Show. We're not, uh, we don't imitate here. We are the real deal. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Um, Robin Sachs is here on the Dana Pretzer Show. It was really neat. While she's on the phone, she's sending a text at the same time, and you, I could actually hear her typing. What's up? That's modern technology. Is it at its finest, is it not? Yeah, it was really neat. It was, I hear just tick, 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 tick. You must be able to text, what, 100 words a minute or something like that? Uh, I don't know. I have carpal thummel. <laughs> RobinSachs.com is her website. She's an NBC news analyst, former felony prosecutor, author, uh, you name it. She's done it, victim's advocate, uh, someone who's been uh, on the hunt for uh, John Mark Carr, uh, a.k.a. Alexis Reich. Uh, was seeing Inside Edition the other day. Have you found him? Well. Okay. Well. <laughs> that's fine. No, that's well. Let's put it this way. He has been located. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of breaking news that is going to happen, um, but in effort to help law enforcement and the investigation to, to do what they need to do, I'm not revealing anything, but yep. let's put it this way. Um, I feel safer tonight. Good, good. He, I, I don't know if he's listening tonight or if he'll download the show later, but I made the comment. I saw the picture of him most recently, and he looks like he's wearing a Kate Goslin wig, so he's got to do something about his hair. But uh, in, in all seriousness... He's some weight. He's <laughs> some weight. Maybe some Jenny Craig, too. Yeah, you got to get him off the street. Uh, he's a loser in the uh, first, second, and third degree. Anyway, um, you've been a big part of this program for many, many years now. I consider you a dear friend and, and a good analyst. Uh, we've talked, uh, you're on Vandersloot many, 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 many times. Uh, here we are. Did you think we'd be talking about uh, this story? You know what? No, I wouldn't. But this week has been a fascinating week in terms of kind of uh, uh, old crime club week, you know, between uh, John Mark Carr kind of, you know, rearing his head in, in the news and... Um, then now, then this Drew Peterson potential tip in that case, and Stacey Peterson, and then you are in Vandersloot. It's like the three musketeers of the biggest losers coming out. So why wouldn't you want to come out with everyone else? Yeah, you know, Aruba, we we could uh, talk about that till the cows come home, whatever that means. And uh, uh, they dropped the ball, and this young girl would still be alive if if Vandersloot was in jail. All, all that sort of stuff. But I want to look at this a little different angle now. Uh, with Vandersloot, because we've talked quite a bit about uh, him tonight, and and we'll get into Peterson the same way, and even John Mark Carr, about how these individuals love to manipulate the media. Uh, Joran Vandersloot loves the media; he loves the attention. He loved it when Greta would interview him, and he would. Uh, they went over to uh, to Thailand and interviewed him while he's there trafficking young girls allegedly. And now, sadly, there's a uh, a horrific homicide that. He He's, uh, may have been involved in. Uh, he may be spending the rest of his life in a Peruvian jail. Uh, but from your point as an NBC analyst and all the work that you've done in the media, uh, with John Mark Carr coming back from the Philippines, I remember breaking news about how he sipped champagne and, and ate shrimp on the way over. Peterson. Uh, we were talking about Peterson tonight. I've interviewed Drew Peterson. The first thing I thought about when I heard about Drew Peterson is that bugger. He's playing the media. He planted this tip himself to get more attention back on him. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they really find Stacey Peterson, but nothing 
would you, 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 nothing would surprise me in a situation like this. Am I totally out to lunch with this stuff? Well, I mean, I don't. I, I think this is like psychology 101 in terms of narcissistic behavior. I mean, these are people who are all about themselves and can't get out of their own way all the time. Yeah. Um, and and Jorn Vandersloot and Drew Peterson, John Markar, they all kind of reek of that same breed. The the thing that's so um, I guess satisfying is when you have a situation where narcissism and psychopathy and, uh, you know, the worst criminal minds mixed all into one, you end up with a murder charge and not just an investigation, but actually something that's going to look like it may actually stick. And that's kind of the, the, the swell, the smell of the sweet aroma of, um, you know, of justice, hopefully. And so, you know, it just takes one time. You know, I, I was actually talking with someone about this yesterday. It seems like you're a yarn van sloop. You're, or Drew Peterson or any of these other people, and you've done your crime, and you've knocked someone off, and you got away with it, and no one knew, and whatever. You know, it's kind of like uh, Vegas. Can't you just leave the table with your winnings and go? But no, they don't. They must go out and, and feed the need. And when someone is as narcissistic and as uh, violent and psychopathic as these individuals are, they will eventually get caught. And so hopefully it's going to happen with you, Aaron. And, it, it, and, it, and, you know, O.J., he's another OJ. example of the same thing. It's like we all watched him walk. And if he just stopped being a criminal, he would have actually gone away with murder. Yep. Yeah, that, but he yeah. couldn't stop himself. Same with Yoren and same with Drew. So that's why, you know, these people who are like, you know, it's not a coinky dink that these are people that were named in a big uh, conspiracy. It, it's, you know, it, it's only a matter of time. What about the sting, the extortion uh, with, with Vandersloot? Uh, you, you represent families. You've worked with families. The good work that you guys do with Justice Interrupted and the, and the work that you do on, on your own. Where, where, and I've interviewed so many of them that all they want is to bring their loved one home. Drew Kessie, I, I could go on and on and on, name after name after name, and so could you. Uh, but uh, there's this sting uh, going on, um, and uh, I'm, I, I'm guessing... And, and Clint Van Zandt said it tonight, too, that uh, they sat back and they high-fived each other and they said, we finally got you, you smart-ass uh, Vandersloot with this uh, this whole extortion thing. Uh, but do these types of personalities, the Yorans, the John Marcars, do they have a sense or the slightest bit of, of, of compassion of doing the right thing, or are they just so sociopathic? so narcissistic, such, such losers, such wanting to put attention on themselves that they'll never do the right thing. And, and Vandersloot was only looking for money so he could go gamble again. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wish that in my work as a prosecutor, and you probably have more experience talking to the offenders than I, um, because by the time I got to, um, you know, actually being face-to-face with the, one of my lovely fine citizens of Los Angeles or whatever, um, they had already been lawyered up, you know, and they are already, you know, in the courtroom and, and, and kind of putting on their Sunday's best. So it's not, I don't really get a true picture of what the motivation or what these people are like. All I can see is their actions. I mean, it's, it's almost also like the Gardner case. I mean, the, the big crocodile tears that we saw at the sentencing, the, the desire to speak on TV, the, the call to 
uh, you know, the families of the kings and the Dubois to come speak to them. You know, everything becomes about them and, and not about the other person. And so, frankly, it's kind of like how I feel about the celebrity thing in Los Angeles. I'm one of those people that never likes to look at a limousine or never tries to gawk when I see cameras or whatever, because I could give a hoot about, you know, what celebrity may be pulling up or whatever. Same thing is with these criminals. I don't really like to give one hoot about what they think or say, because I don't really care. Their actions speak louder than their words, and I don't care if it's psychopathy narcissism, pedophilia, or any other DSM-4 word that you want to throw on their condition, doesn't much matter. They're, they're criminals. They're despicable human beings. They put people's lives uh, through, you know, they wreak havoc on people's lives, and they've caused anger and pain and loss, and, and there's no psychiatric label that's going to make that go away. Absolutely. Robin Sachs is here. You can learn more about her by going to robinsachs.com. She's an NBC News analyst. And uh, are you still uh, in the big city? I'm in the, well, I'm on the the left coast now, back on my coast. I, I They're not called the other coast, the right coast. But, yes, um, I'm back in Los Angeles, and I may head back to New York. But who knows? It's always a mystery as to where I'll be. I'm trying to hang tight for a few weeks here, though. I'm curious, uh, your client, um, the young gal that uh, who we interviewed on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, that uh, has taken some flack a little bit in, in the press uh, about John Mark Carr, Alexis Reich. She's so brave, and, and, and if there was a medal that could be pinned on her, uh, I would do it tomorrow for coming forward. Uh, but but uh, let's give you a minute to talk about uh, why. Uh, young people like this get involved with individuals like John Mark Carr. I know the story goes back to teaching in the early days and and, and that type of personality, but uh, what would ever possess anyone to, to, to get involved with a character like that? Well, thank you for kind of acknowledging that because poor Samantha, who is uh, you know 19 years old and, and really having, just particularly today in particular, a, a rough day, it's very alienating, this whole process. It's not fun. This isn't the life of the celebrity bliss right now. People are not wanting to talk to her right now. Family members are angry with her. I mean, and understandably so, but from someone who has seen the victim angle and has spoken to hundreds and thousands of victims and experienced them, um, victims make great victims. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is is that she was 17 years old, and although that feels like a nice, ripe, mature age, 17-year-old uh-huh. girl who is, has issues at home and school and alienation and questioning herself in life and kind of going through those processes is primed for some uh, magnetic, uh, interesting, uh, charismatic, amazing amazing person um and the more ma- you know magnetic they are the more they're intrigued and then once you know once their hold is there it's the same thing kind of with any kind of pedophile with little kids it's like all you need is the window to be open a slight crack and once it's open then the entree is is you know begun and the grooming begins and yep. john mark Carr is as skilled as they get i mean talk to any reporter who's actually made contact with him any person anybody else who's actually had conversations with him. I mean, he's got a way about him that's either completely compelling or completely frightening. And depending on what you get on any given day, you can certainly see how and why someone who is impressionable, vulnerable, 
and um, could be susceptible to this. Absolutely, the master manipulator. Uh, Robin, thank you. Uh, you can uh, check out Robin's website at robinsachs.com. You'll see her on all the cable news shows. She's an NBC News analyst, author, all-around great gal, and uh, a favorite here on the program. Thank you, my dear. Thank you, but go Lakers. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. That's Robin Sachs, obviously a L.A. Lakers fan. That's it. That's a nice show. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to all my guests. Remember, the website is uh, scaredmonkeysradio.com, www.scaredmonkeysradio.com. There you can uh, listen to the show live, pick up podcasts of past shows, go go back five, six years, however long that we've been here, uh, daily commentaries, make comments, and, of course, uh, check out the blog at scaredmonkeys.com. Like I said before, we're real. We don't imitate we do it the way that you want to hear it. Main Street Media, all the way. The real deal here on the Dana Pretzer Show. Good night. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to the Dana Pretzer Show on Scared Monkeys Radio. We invite you to discuss tonight's program with other listeners by joining us at scaredmonkeysradio.com, where you'll find program archives, links to tonight's guest websites, and further information regarding tonight's topics. Scared Monkeys Radio is a production of scaredmonkeys.com. Thanks for listening.